Uh, so today, uh, we have a guest preacher. Uh, his name is Pastor Eugene Lewis, and he is actually the pastor of this church that we meet in. And I'm so excited for you guys to be able to receive the word from him. Pastor Eugene is such a, a faithful man. This church right here is the oldest Seventh-day Adventist African-American church in the Pacific Northwest. And Pastor Eugene has been the pastor here for nearly 30 years. Uh, in 2024, it'll be 30 years, which is incredible. And we always, we always want to celebrate faithfulness, especially here in Seattle where sometimes pastors come and pastors go. We want to celebrate one who has faithfully stayed. And so I'm excited for you to hear the word from him. Our scripture reading today is from Luke 10, starting in verse 25. If you're reading from the blue paperback Bibles, you can find it on page 506. Luke 10, starting in verse 25. And behold... A lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. She welcome Pastor Eugene. So, <laughs> uh, so I'll, read, I'll read 
which he took over from me. I grew up in a somewhat of a nefarious neighborhood. Uh, a lot of thieves, um, uh, some prostitution, and uh, I'm from a family of 15. I'm number 11. And um, my mother and I are very, very close. As a matter of fact, she was not only my mother, but she was my very best friend. And um, growing up, <clears throat> I was always close by her side, not let her out of my side too much. And um, uh, I, <clears throat> I know she would always uh, be inviting some of the thieves and some of these characters that uh, you just probably would want in your home. And uh, but she would always feed them and take care of them. And um, so one day I asked her, I said, look, uh, Mom, uh, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> if you continue to do that, uh, there's not going to be any food for us. Uh, and my mother was a very compassionate person, uh, very, very compassionate. She said, look, you don't know where some of these people come from. You don't know their parents, you don't know the lifestyle uh, they, were, they come up with. And um, don't worry about us running out of food. Uh, God will provide. And I'm counting the number of people in the house that need food. And the mom said, this is going to be taken care of. Lo and behold, most of us moved out of the neighborhood. Um, and mom was home by herself living in the same neighborhood, the same house. Um, our house never got broken into. And the thieves and all of these people with various kinds of activities, minds, personalities, they were the people who took care of my mother. They would walk her to the bus stop to make sure that she got on the bus safely. And when she came off the bus to come home, they would walk her home make sure she got in the house, make sure she was taken care of. And uh, our house was probably the only house on the block that never got broken into. Compassion. Our passage this morning is a neon kind of narrative. Um, it begins on the heels of a question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus gave two requirements. The young lawyer appeared to have no problem understanding the first one, love for God. However, he had some challenges with the second requirement. The neighbor requirement he had some problems with. Verse 29 says, but he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, who is my neighbor? There were some people within his sphere of influence. He would question as to call them his neighbor. In his case, it was most likely the Samaritans. Samaritans and Jews did not get along. In our case, whom might that look like? People of color, people of accent, different nationality, who might that look like? But Jesus is a master communicator. He doesn't give the lawyer a straight answer to his question. He, had he done so, 
it would, have, it would not have moved the lawyer from where he was to where God wanted him to be. The lawyer from the text was a racist and a bigot. And God wanted to move him from being a racist and a bigot to a person who was fair and open-minded, a true Christian. That's what God had in mind for the lawyer. So instead of giving the lawyer a straight answer, he responds adjectively. He describes what a neighbor looks like so there'll be no mistake as to who a neighbor was. It seems to be a method of Jesus. You remember in Genesis chapter 2, 19, um, Adam is standing there and, um, and God describes all of the animals, what they look like, and then he tells Adam, now you name them. <laughs> it seemed to be a method of Jesus to not always give a straight answer, but to maybe describe it so people have a chance to chew on it a bit. The adjectives Jesus uses to describe who his neighbor was are expressed through the eyes of compassion. Compassion is based upon need, not worth. Because in the eyes of God, our worth is the same. He died for all of us. The theme of compassion runs throughout everything that Jesus did. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 23 says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassion fails not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. In Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 10, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed says the Lord, who has compassion for you. The story of two women who went before King Solomon is one of my favorites in all the Bible. Most often when we hear this story, we focus on the wisdom of Solomon to choose between two prostitutes. One, um, one prostitute lost her daughter, lost her, her baby, rather, in birth. The other baby lived. And the mother who lost her child tried to claim the child of the mother's child who was living. And so they go before Solomon. And Solomon um, takes out a sword, or has one of his courtiers take out a sword. And he gets ready to slice the baby in half. But before the sword could come down, he stopped. And, and the woman comes out of the mother of the living child says, no, don't do that. Give the child to the other woman. The beauty of that is because the mother has compassion for her son, burning deeply within her, the mother would entrust her son to another woman. She was willing to let him go so that the son might live. The whole of Matthew 25 concerning the judgment is one of compassion. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was naked, you clothed me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. 
all about and centered in compassion. In verse 30, the text says, and Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from, Jer from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among these, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. I hope you notice, Jesus does not give away the man's identity. He simply says, a certain man. <laughs> he does not talk about his race or his clan, his status in life, his social class. He doesn't talk about where he came from, if he was from the east side or the Capitol Hill. He doesn't talk about any of those things. He doesn't call out his dialect or the language he spoke. Jesus left all of that information out. All we know about the man was that he was beaten, robbed, stripped of his clothes, left unconscious for dead. The man is naked as a newborn baby about to be given a bath. His nakedness leaves us with no clue whatsoever as to who he was, what his status was in life. He could have been famous. He could have been a banker. He could have been a lawyer. We don't know if the man was rich or poor, Jew or Gentile, black or white. We don't know if he was educated. We don't know what family he came from, what side of town he lived on, if he was from the ghetto or Bellevue or Clyde Hill. All we know about him was that he was barely breathing. He was bloody, naked, near death, a certain man who could not be identified. The details in the narrative as to who this man was was so far removed from the story. All we have to work with are two minor details, but in a major way. The man is in need, one, and two, he's suffering. A certain man is lying on the side of the road, naked and suffering. The man is a human being. He's in need. He's half dead. He's beaten and robbed a certain man. In short, Jesus did not give the professor nor the mob who's questioning him the courtesy of getting their prejudices all worked up. <laughs> had they known who he was, it would have certainly caused them to respond along prejudicial lines. So he just says, a certain man. Treating people along prejudicial lines is not the way to inherit eternal life. The kingdom of God is like a rich tapestry of people of equal value, worshiping and working together to the glory of God. The rich young ruler, the lawyer, had his own idea as to how one would 
inherit the kingdom of God. But Jesus wanted to set, wanted to set the record straight. And John on the island of Patmos will attest to this fact. He said he saw a great multitude which no man could number of all nation, kindred, people, and tongues standing before God. They are different, but they are equal. Shortly thereafter, the text says, a priest came by. One, one of us, priesthood or believers, he saw this certain man and wouldn't go near him. He was so worried about touching a dead body that he crossed the street on the other side. In that century, for a priest to touch a dead body, he would be disqualified from service for a while. And so he refused to go near him. He was so hung up on his religious traditions that he forgot about the true essence of religion. He was erudite, but he was spiritually impotent. <laughs> A life was hanging in the balance, but he was hung up on his religion. Verse 30 says, and Jesus answered, said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now get this. Jerusalem was always considered an uphill journey to church. The man is coming from church. He's just heard a sermon. He's heard all the religious. He's just come from worship. And here is someone to demonstrate his religion. And he walks by on the other side. Religion isn't worth a dime if you're not willing to live it. Then Jesus said, a Levite came by also. He was upper middle class, well-to-do fella, from a good family, and probably with the best education of his day. Unlike the priests, he did pause, and he took a look at this certain man. But since the man was lying there, unconscious, naked, speechless, unidentifiable, he couldn't tell what church he was from, so he decided, I'll go by too. Like the priests, he went before him, and he too passed by on the other side. He decided, God forbid he be seen caring for someone he did not know or did not understand. Hung up on class, and status, the Levite passes by on the other side too. Religion was all around the priest and the Levite, but it wasn't in them. <laughs> Lastly, or last but not least, a Samaritan came by. Jesus describes him as being full of compassion. A Samaritan in that day was part Jew and then his own nationality. The Samaritans came out of the Jews 
Jewish race and um, somehow got separated between the times they were building the walls, uh, when Ezra was building the walls, and, um, and they were not invited to come back to, to help build the temple, the first temple. And, and so this great rift became between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so Jesus describes the Samaritan as being full of compassion. He's a man of a mixed race. He's a mutt. He's not a purebred. No pedigree to his name. And as far as we know, he had no PhD or GED. He's just a certain man who sees a man desperately in need of his help. He sees his need, not his worth. Then he does something about what he sees. He helps the man based upon his need. He didn't throw money at him and go his own way. I often have to share with our number of congregations because I have six others outside of this one. We often, especially when we have arrived at a certain level in life to where we have money, and we tend to throw money at the problems, and it makes us feel good when we do it, but we don't reach out to people. <laughs> and we think that our money, by giving the money, well, which is fine, that somehow that alleviates the human connection, but it doesn't. Um, compassion does something about what it sees in terms of the need. Unlike the priest and the Levite, the Samaritan goes straight to the man, pours his own oil on his wounds to keep the infection out. Then he wraps the man's wounds with his own headpiece that he really needed for himself to keep the sand and the dust out of his eyes as they walked over to the inn. If you notice, he put himself in danger because the same thing that happened to the man that's lying on the side of the road could have very well happened to him. He put himself in danger. He covered him up. He put the man on his own donkey while he walks slowly alongside of him until he reaches the end. Compassion does two things. One, it does something with what it knows. Notice the flow of the text. And went to him, the Samaritan, bound him up, poured in oil and wine, set him on his own beasts, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. There are six descriptive adjectives or actions that the man took, the Samaritan took. Number one, he went to him. Two, he bandaged him. Three, he poured oil and wine on him. Four, he put him on his own donkey. Five, took him to the inn. Six, he took care of him. Compassion 
does something about what it sees. Number two, compassion does not only does something, it costs something too. It costs the Samaritan time. He was going somewhere. But wherever he was going, he stopped. And he took the time to help someone less fortunate than himself. It cost him some money. The text says that he took him to the inn and he paid for his stay. And he tells the innkeeper, if this isn't enough, on my return, I will pay for the extra days. Thirdly, it cost him a sense of his own safety. Again, what was done to the to the man on the side of the road could have been done to him. Compassion, compassion. So what we have here is the Samaritan is suffering with the man in whom he's helping. He suffers with him. He stayed with the man all night before he left out to go the next day. And he didn't even know his name, his race, his tribe, his pedigree, the town he came from, or the cause of his tragedy. The only thing he knew was that this was a certain man who needed some help, a little compassion. And if that were not enough, again, the next day, he told the innkeeper, let the man stay until he's well. Then he left some money on the counter and said, I'll give you more if that's what is needed. There's nothing more the Samaritan could have done. Compassion costs something. After which Jesus looked at the law professor Described. And he said to the law professor, Tell me, my educated brother, which of these men acted like a neighbor? The professor, slow to answer, said, He that showed mercy. Now get this. He was so hung up on himself that he can't even mention that the man is a Samaritan. And so what does Jesus do? He says, he simply says, go and do likewise. (laughs) You remember this narrative began with two questions. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? One. Two, who is my neighbor? The story ends with Jesus answering both questions. The lawyer is left with a question we must all answer if we want to inherit eternal life. And that is, what kind of neighbor are we? (laughs) And in the singular, 
What kind of person, a neighbor, am I? The kingdom of God is not about works. It's character. And Jesus was trying to round out this lawyer, this educated man. He's trying to round out his character. Character is the only thing we're going to take to heaven. This body that we live in is corruptible. As a matter of fact, Paul says, this corruptible body must put on incorruption. This mortal body must put on immortality. Meaning then, theologically, that this body is so sinful that even Jesus can't do anything with it. So he gives us something new. <laughs> we may not be able to help everyone. God knows we can't help everyone out there. There are a whole lot of disenfranchised people out there. Whew. The numbers are too great for any one person, any church to deal with. Trying to help everybody out there would be akin to the sun rising at daybreak and a rooster trying to sneak by it. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. <laughs> it's just the way it is. But we may not be able to help everyone, but what we can do is allow the Holy Spirit to lead us to that certain man or woman whomsoever he or she might be. We help those whom God has placed within our sphere of influence under the leading and guiding of God's spirit. We can never go wrong when the spirit of God is leading and directing us. There's an old Negro hymn it goes like this. If I could help somebody as I pass along, if I could cheer somebody with a word or song, if I can show somebody that he or she is traveling wrong, then my living will not have been in vain. Inasmuch as you have done it unto the one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. I was hungry, and you gave me meat. Compassion sees and does what it knows. And that's what Jesus did for you, and that's what Jesus did for me on Calvary. He saw each one of us along the road of life somewhere, and he did not pass us by. As a matter of fact, he did exactly what the Good Samaritan did in the text. By hanging on Calvary's cross, he not only paid the price for your salvation and for my salvation, he paid it for the ceaseless ages of eternity. What a God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. A God 
who understands us, a God who sees us, knows us. His love for us is unwavering. His compassion knows not. So my appeal this morning is to ask yourself, each morning God gives us breath to breathe. What kind of neighbor am I? Shall I pray? Our Father in God, we thank you for these old stories that we can learn new things from. We pray that the words will be like seeds planted in a garden when the sun of your righteousness the gift of your Holy Spirit shines upon these words. May they find a lodging place in our hearts. And may the fruit from those seeds give life, not only to us, but everyone you place within the sphere of our influence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching to a time of response. While we recognize it may be hard to capture that as you listen online, we encourage you to take a moment to reflect on and respond to what the Spirit might be telling you in response to what you've heard. For more resources and to find out how you can join with us on Gathering on Sundays, visit iconchurch.org. And as we say each week, Christ is all and we are His.